here. Let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. And thank you for everyone who's here. And uh, no doubt many uh, are watching from home because of the weather. Pray you'd speak to their lives as well. Be glorified, we pray. And I pray that man would decrease, your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So 2 Kings, let's catch you up. If you, have an, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand, we'll get you one. It's always helpful to have an outline. But 2 Kings, we saw as we, we were getting towards the end of this book, it's taken some time. But uh, 2 Kings, we've seen that it began with the fall of Solomon and how God said that, he was, that the kingdom was divided. And then we saw a few weeks ago that Israel at this point doesn't exist anymore. The Assyrians had overrun them. They had been in uh, rebellion for about 300 years. And because of their rebellion, God finally brought righteous judgment and he used an ungodly kingdom to bring it about. And what had happened in Israel, because of their, they continued to, they were worshiping false gods and false idols and they refused to repent. There was not one good king in Israel after Solomon. There were some good kings in Judah, but none in Israel, all more wicked than the one before them in a lot of ways. And so what happened is God finally brought righteous judgment. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And what happened was they were taken away from their land and they took the people from Assyria and put them into the land of Israel. And they took the people of Israel and they literally ran hooks through their lips and their nose and they took them naked and drugged them hundreds of miles into this foreign land so that the children of Israel in their mind would cease to exist. As we're going to see tonight, that the Assyrian king wasn't happy. He was, he was conquering all kinds of kingdoms, but he still wanted Judah. And if you were here uh, two weeks ago, last week we looked at Genesis 1, uh, be reminded we're going to start a book uh, through the Bible in a year program on January 1st. You can get a uh, I think we'll have them by Sunday, so you can grab those, and we'll, we'll have memory verses every week from part of the reading. We we'll encourage you, you can get a head start if you want. But as we talked about in chapter 18, Judah's already been under attack. A few years after Israel was overtaken, Judah's under attack. Hezekiah is a godly king. He was the first one to actually, in a long time, to tear down all the altars to the false gods. But he also was a man, as we'll see, that was far from perfect. But he, at this point, we come to chapter 19, and most of Israel has already been captured outside of Jerusalem itself, of Judah, excuse me. Most of Judah has been ta taken captive. All the major cities have been taken captive. Some of the people have already, are already being drugged away into Assyrian land. And Jerusalem is the last stronghold that they have left. The place where the temple dwelt and where God had his hand upon them. So as we come to tonight's text, he ended last week, two weeks ago. And what was he doing? He was trying to get them to give up. He was trying to get them to be afraid. So imagine you're in Jerusalem, but you're surrounded on every side by the enemy. And they've cut off all that. It's called a, a siege is when what they do is they keep any food or water from coming in or out. And they literally will slowly just starve you to death or get you to give up. And he was already letting them know, if you'll just give up now, we'll give you all of this stuff. And isn't that what the enemy did? It's what the enemy always does. He tries to tempt us by telling us if we will obey him, he will give us things. He did that with the Lord. Remember when he tempted him in the wilderness? If you'll just do this and I'll make, you know, if you want to be this and the enemy will always offer you something temporal and want you to give up something eternal. 
And so this is exactly what's taking place. So now as we come to tonight's text, they're surrounded, they're being besieged, and we're going to see how Hezekiah and the children of, uh, children of Judah respond. If you got your outline, grab it. I tell the, the message tonight, don't fear men, trust God. Don't fear men, trust God. Even when it seems overwhelming, even when it seems that men have their, you know, in this case, there's a greater army surrounding them who is, has, who is undefeated. The Assyrians had not lost a single battle. The Assyrians have already wiped out much, much of their land, and now they're surrounded by them. And so don't fear men, trust God. Number one, how to respond in a time of crisis. First of all, take the situation seriously. Guys, we fight a spiritual battle every single day. Amen. 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 I know we're in white chairs and we got red stuff around us, but we can still say amen. 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 Okay. So in times of crisis, as believers, we need to take this spiritual walk seriously. We need to wake up every morning recognizing that we're going out into a battlefield. We're going out into our mission field. And we need to take the trials that go on in this life seriously. Don't just ignore them. Don't act like they're just going to go away. We need to bring them before the throne of grace. The first thing we need to do is bring it to the Lord. Bring everything to the Lord. He's not the last resort. He should be the first stop. Amen? First thing we ought to do is pray. Before our feet hit the ground in the morning, we ought to pray. Every time we go through a trial or even any any doubts, any questions, any fears of life ought to drive us to our knees. And even when everything's going really well, we should be crying out to the Lord. Number two, seek direction from the word of God. So we need to be people who bring it to the Lord, but we seek confirmation from God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we want our faith to increase, we need to be in the word more. And here's what I have learned. I see it rarely. Rarely do you see people that are in prayer, in the word, and in fellowship walk away from the Lord or live lives of rebellion. Amen? We're not sinless. We continue to sin. But, but the difference is the way we view our sin is different. The priorities and passion of our lives change. And it's amazing how when we bring it to the Lord and we seek direction from his word, how we get direction to live a holy and set apart life. And it helps us in the time of a crisis. Again, every, every week I say, I'm not going to mention my son, but since my son went to heaven, it'll be three months tomorrow. It feels like it's been three years. I want to tell you, if I did not know the Lord, I would be a wreck. Because without the Lord, how in the world can, can you endure trials? How can you go through grief and, and difficulty? How can, you, how can you stand up in the midst of crisis? Well, you really, you can't apart from the empowering work of the Lord. Amen. And because of him, because he is faithful, we can remain steadfast. And also, again, bring it to the Lord and pray and ask for prayer. You know, we, we need to be praying ourselves, but it's a good thing to ask others for, to pray for you and pray with you. Right? The fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man or righteous woman availeth much. And so we want to come to each other and say, can you pray? Can you pray for us? I'm going to be real transparent with you. My wife's really struggling with grief. Please pray for her. The greatest thing you can do for me right now is pray for my wife. Amen? So just pray for her. It's so hard. It's so heartbreaking. You know, Mark lived with us. So every day we wake up and he's not there. And our house is so quiet. And it's a daily reminder. And you know what we have to do? We have to focus on where he is, not where he's not. He's in heaven and heaven's better. Amen? And we need to focus on that. So how to respond in time of crisis, bring it to the Lord. Seek direction from the word of God. 
pray and ask for prayer. A real measure of spiritual maturity is how we respond in time of crisis. Number two, trust in the promises of God. Don't fear the words of men or the threats of men. Trust in the promises of God. If God says it, that settles it. Amen. Amen. Amen? God need, how many times does God need to say it for it to be true? Once. I hear people say, well, that's only in the Bible twice. Well, if it's in the Bible once, that's enough. Amen? And if God says it, we can believe it, we can trust in it, and we know that he will never change his mind, and he will always be faithful to his word. Amen? But you, we don't know the promises of God if we don't read the word of God. It's hard for us to, to trust in someone who we don't know. And the way we get to know the Lord is to spend time in prayer and to spend time in his word and to be in fellowship like tonight. One of the enemy's greatest tools against the believer is to get us to give up and be rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God. If Satan can't take you to hell with him, he wants you to sit on the sidelines and do nothing until you get to heaven. He just wants you to sit down, be quiet, keep it to yourself, and just be thankful for your get out of hell free card and just use that on the day that you die. And you know what? The Lord didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us to be the best fed and fattest sheep in town. He saved us to use us for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? He's adopted us into his family. He wants to use us. So how to respond to times of crisis, trusting in the promises of God. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Our God is great, and he's greater than you think. And what's so good to know about that is when the reason that we panic, the reason that we can be overwhelmed, we look at the size of the trial we are in, and the trial is only bit great if our God is small. But we don't serve a small God, we serve a great God. And because our God is great, he's not kind of mighty, he's almighty, amen? He's almighty, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. He's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's the creator of all things. He's the alpha and the omega, which means he's the A to the Z and everything in between, amen? That's our God. And because he is great, we, we need not fear. Because he is great, we need not panic or worry. And because he's great, we can trust him, we can trust his promises. God says it, that settles it, we can walk in it. He's the God of Israel. He's the Lord of armies. He's the one who dwells between the cherubim. He alone is God. He alone made the heavens and the earth. Guys, there is no other God before him or beside him. He's the only true and living God. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. You know what's amazing? He's the God who created everything. He's the God that can do anything. And guess what? You're what he treasures. You are his treasured possession. You are, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. That's the God we serve. Cast your cares on him. He will care for you. Number four, nothing happens apart from the sovereign hand of God. Nothing happens apart from the sovereign hand of God. That means anything, not just in the life of the believer, but even in the world around us. Now, the world has, men have free will, but even with the free will that God gives men, the free will of man will never thwart the sovereignty of God. Amen? Even though men may choose to do evil things and sin has consequences, it, we will not over, overrule or override the sovereign will of God. God's will will be done with us or without us. Amen? And if we walk in obedience, we can be a part of and bear fruit that brings about God's will. If we walk in open rebellion, again, we may be on the sidelines if we're believers and, and their consequences may come. So nothing happens apart from the sovereign hand of God. It's good to know that. By the way, leave the enemy in the hands of God. Just say, Lord, you've got him. 
I hear Christians, they'll, they'll want to talk about how they're battling Satan. Well, if you battle Satan by yourself, you're going to get whipped. Amen? Because the enemy, again, he's a defeated foe. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But God's not called us to go battle the enemy. You just leave the enemy to the Lord because he'll take him out. Can I get an amen to that? So trust the Lord. Number five, God is faithful to his promises, even when we are faithless. You know, aren't you glad that God's faithfulness doesn't depend solely on your faith? Because guess what? We're not always faithful, are we? But God always is. And there's, you know, there's a teaching that goes around that only, you know, like if you're sick, it's because you're faithless. That's, that's, a, that's a, a horrible, uh, false thing that people teach that healing is all based on our faith. Well, then I guess the apostle Paul didn't have any faith. I guess, you know, you look at all the people used mildly in scripture. They all suffered greatly. Was it their lack of faith? No, it's not their lack of faith. Now, do we, we pray and we ask for God and God can heal. But you know, sometimes it's better for us to endure the trial than to be delivered from it because that's how we grow the most. Amen. And God could also use that to bring about his glory. And so when we give our lives to the Lord, then he can do whatever he wants with our life, that he may be glorified through it. And we need to learn to trust him because he loves us more than we will ever comprehend. As much as I love my son, Mark, God loves me more. And boy, does that bring peace to my heart. How about you? Isn't it good to know that he loves you more than you love your children? He loves you more than you can even comprehend. That's the God we serve. And then finally, you plus God is a majority. Again, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to see one angel destroy 185,000 of the enemy. The army, the, army of Israel, the army of Judah doesn't even need to lift a finger. God shows up and one angel wipes out 185,000 men. So let's begin there. Don't fear men, trust God. How to respond in the time of crisis. Let's begin there looking in verse one. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. When he heard that the siege armies had surrounded them, when Judah was now under full attack, that all the other major cities had been captured, that many of the citizens of Judah were already uh, taken captive. When he recognized that they were surrounded, they were, they were overwhelmed, that their army by themselves were not great enough to defeat the Assyrians. The Assyrians were undefeated. They had never lost a battle. And when he heard all of that, and when he knew that they were enticing the people to just give up, how did he respond? Here's what it says. When the king heard it, he tore his clothes. Tore, tearing your clothes was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of weeping. It was Hezekiah recognizes just how serious that the threat is. And when they tore their clothes, it was letting everyone know that he was in a place of mourning. He was in a place of brokenness, a place of desperation. So the first thing that he does is he recognizes that this threat is for real. And then we need to be careful with that, with our, with our families, with our children, uh, whatever the calling God has placed upon our life, with this local church, that the enemy wants to destroy your marriage. Amen? The enemy wants to, to take your children. The enemy wants to destroy this fellowship. The enemy wants to attack the church in the United States and around the world. Amen? And we need to recognize that that's a spiritual battle that we're fighting, and we need to take that to the Lord. He recognizes just how serious 
the threat is, and he responds in a godly way. We're in trouble. And he comes mourning before the Lord. He's going to be crying out to God, recognizing he needs help. You know what this does? This this is a sign of humility coming humbly before the Lord. See, if he thought he had the answers, he wouldn't tear his clothes. He would just get his guys together and try to figure out how they were going to combat this. And there's nothing wrong with, with doing that in a sense, but we need to go to the Lord first, not last. We don't put our, our plan together and then come ask God to bless it. We say, Lord, show us what you want us to do. Lord, we can't do this without you. Lord, we're humble and broken. Lord, we need you. Amen? Eyes of the Lord are searched to and fro among the whole earth. Seeking one, he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God's looking for men and women who'll say, Lord, I, I, I want to be used by you. Use me for your kingdom and for your glory. But notice it says the second thing, he covered himself and then he went into the house of the Lord. He didn't gather up his generals. Again, nothing wrong with that in, in a, to some degree. But he, what did he do? He went to the Lord first. He went to the house of the Lord. He wanted to hear from God. He wanted to seek God's face. And you know what? I think that we need to be in that place of desperation more often than we are need to take it seriously. We need to bring it to the Lord. Hezekiah did not allow his overwhelming circumstances to get him to turn from the Lord or to be angry with the Lord. Here's what the enemy will do. He'll go through a trial and the enemy will stir you up to get mad at God. Well, you've been praying. God didn't answer your prayer. Well, you, you know, you've been faithful to the Lord. Why would the Lord let this happen to your family? Where was God? Why didn't he show up? Well, we need to trust that God knows what he's doing and trust in this character and the, God, the fact that God is faithful. Amen. But the enemy will, come, will, will attack us and seek to get us to be angry with the Lord. He didn't get angry with God. He turned to God. He could have said, God, why? I thought we were your chosen people. Lord, look at the army. They're surrounding us. Lord, we're outnumbered. They already took Israel. Now they're going to take us, I guess. And he could have just been mad at God and cursing God. Right, shaking his fist at God. Instead, he comes humbly before God and he cries out to him. Guys, we need to run to the Lord, not from him. Amen? When we're going through t- difficulties and trials, we need to do that anyway. So he goes into the house of the Lord. And it's important to note here that he doesn't go into the Holy of Holies. Remember, King Uzziah did that. And what happened to him? Who remembers bonus points? What happened to King Uzziah? He was struck with leprosy. See, The king is not the spiritual leader of Israel. The high priest is. And you don't see the king and the priest and a prophet. they're, They're never all three. They're just one of those things. But you know what? Jesus is all three. Amen. He's the king, the priest, and the prophet. They're all pictures of who Jesus would become. But the king was not to take the place of the priest or the prophet. And so he does come, but he comes before the Lord. He's crying out to God, and he's being ministered to by the priest and by the prophets. Verse 2. Then he sent to Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. This is the Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah and uh, King Hezekiah are contemporaries. And so what does he do in a time of desperation? He sends his guys off to seek wisdom from Isaiah. Go find out what the prophet thinks we should do. 
Go find out what the man who speaks for God and who hears from God, what does he believe we should do? Now, we're going to find out in Chronicles that Isaiah, Isaiah's daughter is actually married to Hezekiah. So Isaiah is his father-in-law, but he's not sending people to talk to his father-in-law as much as he's sending people to talk to the prophet of God. Amen? He needs wisdom. He goes to a godly man. Now, keep in mind, they didn't have the completed revelation like we do or anything close to it. They had probably just the first five books of the Bible at this point. So they could consult that, but they went to the prophet of God to get wisdom and to hear from the word of God. So what did he do? He took it seriously. He went into the house of the Lord. Then he sought out the word of the Lord by coming to the prophet of the Lord. Though again, the real measure of godliness is seen in how we respond in a time of crisis. Too often, what they would do in those days is they would just come up with their own plan and then go out and, and execute what they think they should do without ever talking to the Lord. And then when it all blows up in their face, they blame God. And we can do that as Christians. We can have a situation at work or in our families or with our health, and we can go in 87 different directions trying to fix it on our own. And then when it doesn't get fixed, we can blame God if we're not careful. Again, the Lord is the first person we should run to. The first one we run to, we run to Almighty God. We seek His face. We seek His will. He may choose to use doctors. He may choose uh, to use other people to minister to us, but He's not the last resort. He's the first stop. So he sends his elders and his priests, and he sends his, those he trusts to go find out from Isaiah, what should we do? We're in trouble. We're surrounded by the enemy. We don't have any answers. Let's ask God to speak to us through his prophet. Verse three, and they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. What does that mean? So they're in a time of great difficulty. And remember again, they've already seen a lot of their people being carried away. They're overwhelmed by the circumstances. They have no idea how they're going to get out of it. And Children came to birth. Hezekiah puts these words in the mouth of his messengers to Isaiah to express the total calamity of the situation. This was an expression for a disaster. A woman is so exhausted by labor that she could not bring the baby to birth and both the mother and the baby would die. So what they're saying is we're in a position where we're so overwhelmed and we're so exhausted and we cannot finish. We don't, we don't even know what to do. We need direction. We need wisdom. We need help. I'll be honest with you. I think that's a great place for us to be. Being humble, broken, and desperate makes us usable for the kingdom of God. When we're self-sustained and we're doing it in our own strength, we can a lot of times forget about the Lord. He's sending the message to the prophet of just how desperate their situation was. And again, desperate cries to the Lord are good. I say it often, one of my favorite prayers is Lord help. And I say it several times a day. I may be in a counseling session. I may be meeting with the client. I may be studying whatever I'm doing. And sometimes I'll just say, Lord help. You know what? I think that's a great prayer. We need his help always. Amen. Verse four. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and to rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer 
for the remnant that is left. Here's what he says. In the previous chapter, one of the things, now this man, it's a, it's a title. That term there, Rabshakeh, it's like general. It's not the man's name, it's the man's position. And if you remember, one of the things that he said to him in chapter 18, he's going to repeat here in chapter 19. And basically what he says is, we whip these people and their God. 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 And we're going to whip you and your God. Because who is your God to stand up for you? Because we've whipped every other land and all their gods. And we're going to whip your God too. And basically what he says is, hey, Isaiah, Here's what he's been saying about the Lord. Here's what he's been saying about God. I want you to bring it to his attention. Didn't think God didn't already know. But could you bring it to God's attention that this is what this man is saying? And here's the reality. God will protect his people and he will also protect his name. Amen. And when someone blasphemes his name, it's the third commandment. No other gods before me, no graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What do you think is happening here? They're putting other gods before him. They're worshiping graven images and they're taking its name in vain. God suffers long. He won't suffer always. You cannot mock God and expect that there won't be righteous judgment. Well, guess what? It's coming. And actually the best thing, the worst thing the enemy could do was to put our God on the same plane as other gods. And as Christians, we need to never let that happen in our presence. Amen? Well, all gods, there's many paths to God. You're right, but there's only one path to salvation. Amen? Whatever path, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Muhammad is bowing to Jesus. Buddha's bowing to Jesus. Hare Krishna bowing to Jesus. L. Ron Hubbard bowing to Jesus. Amen? Every other God, every other religion, every other, they're all tools of the enemy. Joseph Smith, the Mormon church, bowing to Jesus. Charles Taze Russell, church of science, bowing to Jesus because he alone is God. And so you put, he's putting God on the same level with all the false man-made gods of the world. And when he does that, he's saying, hey, can you tell the Lord, could you go ask God, let him know what's how God already knows. But you know what? When we pray, it's okay to tell God what he already knows. Amen? It's okay. To, Lord, you already know how much my wife is struggling. Lord, bring her peace and comfort. Amen? It's okay. We come to him. We bear our hearts before him. We intercede on behalf of others. And so he comes saying, oh, Lord, Hezekiah knew the only hope was that God would take offense to the blasphemies of Rabshakeh and rise up against him. He knew it wasn't because his army was going to win without the Lord. They're, they're outmanned, they're outnumbered, they're overwhelmed. But he also knew that God is faithful to protect his name. Prayer bringing our heartache and petitions to the Lord should be the first place, not the last resort. Isaiah, pray for us. Our nation is devastated by the Assyrian invasion. Jerusalem alone is left standing. Pray for us. Pray for us is what he's asking for. Look at verse five. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So the word was sent out. Time of crisis. I love the things that he did. What did he do? He took it seriously. He brought it to the Lord. He sought direction from the word of God. He asked for prayer and now he leaves it in God's hands. Okay, God, what should we do? 
He's going to wait upon the Lord before he moves. Whatever the Lord tells us to do, that's what we're going to do. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. What does he do? He seeks godly counsel. And they're always, you can always find somebody to tell you what you want to hear. You can always find somebody. If you ask enough people, somebody will tell you it's okay to sleep with your girlfriend. You know, someone will tell you it's okay to not pay your taxes because they, they, they waste the money anyway. You'll find someone that will tell you that, that being in worship and fellowship isn't the most important. You can always find someone to tell you what you want to hear. You know what we want to find? We want to go to people that love the Lord more than they love you. Amen? People that love the word of God more than they love you. By the way, you want to marry somebody who loves the Lord more than they love you. Amen? And so you want godly counsel from people that stand on the truth of God's word and love the Lord above all else. We don't want to go to the world for counsel. They're spiritually dead. We don't need their counsel. They need ours. Amen? If someone doesn't know God, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. We love them. We pray for them. But seek godly counsel from those who love, serve, and worship the Lord and people that know his word. See, people ask me, you know, in counseling, they'll ask me things and they'll say, well, how, well, that was such a great, I said, I don't know anything. I just know where the answers are. Amen. And you know how you know where the answers are? You read the book where the answers are. Amen. This is the teacher's edition. All the answers are in it. Amen. You open it up and you could point people to it and let them see for themselves. So he told him to lift up in prayer, he rallied his people to pray. He rallied his people to go and seek the answers from the prophet of God. The Bible says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done by my father in heaven. That's in Matthew 18, 19. Point number two, trust in the promises of God. Begin there in verse six. Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. So what does he say? Thus says the Lord. So what he's saying is, here's what God says. Isaiah doesn't say, thus saith Isaiah. He doesn't say, thus saith the prophet of the Lord. He says, thus saith the Lord. And you know what? He's going to give some specifics. Now, a lot of people who say, oh, I have the gift of prophecy, they'll, they'll give you some kind of a prophecy that is some totally in general, vague thing that cannot be tested. I prophesy that, you know, there's going to be revival on the whole world and there's going to be this. You know, prophecy, he's going to give specifics that they're going to be able to watch and see. And he's either going to be a prophet of God or a false prophet when this is over. And so he's going to proclaim with boldness. And guys, if we know what the word of God says, prophecy isn't just foretelling, it's forthtelling. So when you open up the word of God and you speak the truth of the word of God to somebody, that's prophetic. Amen? Because you're foretelling. So I can say this with all assurance. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? I can say the Bible says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. God says it, that settles it, it's true. Amen? We, we read to the end of the book and we know God wins, amen? And we can profess those things with boldness, with truth. We don't have to be kind of, you know, we don't have to be, oh, well, I think maybe this possibly might happen. No, God said so, that's it, amen? And so he's gonna speak with that same boldness, with that same authority that comes from walking with God and knowing what the word of God says. True prophecy 
and specific and not general. And without hesitation, he speaks as if he's speaking for the Lord because he is. He's speaking for the Lord because he is God's man. Again, we can be sure that Isaiah did not take this lightly. The fate of the nation, his credibility of the prophet as a prophet, we're all writing on this. He spoke for the Lord. It would either happen or it would not happen. Isaiah would again be either known as a true prophet or a false prophet. He says, don't be afraid of the words that you've heard. We need never fear the words of men. Amen? Men will threaten you. Men will say, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. If you don't do this, you're going to lose your job. If you don't do this, we're going to, you know, all these things could take place. Guys, here's the good news. God is in control. He's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. I'm going to obey. We will obey God rather than man every single time. Amen. And the, and the world will attack you and the world will try to get you to, to knuckle under to what the world wants you to do. We're not going to obey men. We're going to obey God. Don't be afraid. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear, anxiety, and worry, all the opposite of faith. We don't need to be afraid. What's the worst thing the world could do to you? What is it? Kill you. Heaven. Let's go. Amen. You can't threaten me with heaven. So let's do it. Amen. We have nothing to be afraid of. We should be fearless, not faithless. Amen. Hezekiah, it is good for you to seek me so passionately, but the words of are only words. Don't be afraid of them. You know, it's good that you come to the Lord and hear from the Lord. Don't worry about what he said. Don't worry about the threats made by men. Don't fear the words of men. The words of ungodly men mean nothing. Trust in the word of God. He said, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. How these words must have cheered the heart of Hezekiah. See, he had heard them blaspheming the Lord and he wanted to make sure the Lord knew. Well, guys, guess what? God knew he was going to blaspheme before he blasphemed because he's God and he knows everything. Amen. And God heard it and God sees it. And sometimes we're, we can get frustrated because we'll look at what is happening in the world around us and we want to know why God hasn't responded yet. Well, guys, God knows what he's doing and he's smarter than us. Amen? And we need to continue to trust him. The Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah saying that he indeed heard these words and it was evident that God took these offensive words seriously. Look at verse seven. Surely I will send a spirit upon him. Speaking of Rabsekah, the, the general, if you will, of the Assyrian army. And he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Hey, now, that's good news for, for Hezekiah. Here he is thinking we're surrounded. There's no way out. And then God lets him know, don't worry. I'm going to cause a rumor to come. He's going to run back to his own land. He's going to fall on a sword in his own land. Now, again, that is specific prophecy. Amen? It's very specific. We're going to know if Isaiah is a false prophet if this doesn't come about. Here the Lord assured Hezekiah he would indeed deal with Rabsekah. He heard his blasphemy. He would bring judgment against him. Significantly, it is the initial word from the prophet Isaiah. This is the first time we see prophet Isaiah speak in the Bible. And guess what? Isaiah is a mighty man of God and a mighty prophet used mightily by God. And this is the first time he ever gives a prophecy like this. We're going to see God speaks through us, through him. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
I wrote three motivations for the true disciple of God. Here's three motivations for us as believers. Uh, and, and this just came to mind as I was studying. I put it on my Facebook page this afternoon. First of all, our motivation as disciples of God first is our love for the Lord. Why do we do what we do? Because we love the Lord. Amen? Why, why do people come early and set up chairs? Because we love the Lord. Why do we share our faith with our neighbor? Because we love the Lord. Why do we spend time in the word of God? Because we love the Lord. Why, why do we have a heart of a servant? Because we love the Lord. The second thing is because of the promise of eternal life. You know, what should motivate us is eternity. You know, this is but a vapor. We saw this on Sunday. It's but for a little while. Whatever that trial is we're going through, whatever that suffering we may be going through, whatever that difficulty, it's but for a little while. Now that may mean 30 years, but 30 years compared to eternity is but a little while. Amen? And so we need to have an eternal focus. It should motivate us that heaven is our home and this is not. Now, those two, most Christians would agree with it quickly. Most Christians who maybe even are not really all that on fire. Well, yeah, I love Jesus and I'm looking forward to heaven. Here's the third one, the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you truly fear God? Now, what I mean by that is that we need to have an awe and a reverence for almighty God. We need to have a reverence for him that when we sin against him, it breaks our heart. It drives us to our knees. And the word fear there, that's what it means. Now, it's, it's a holy fear and it's a righteous fear, but it's a fear. We fear God. He's almighty, all powerful, and he will bring righteous judgment. And you know what it should do? You know what happens when you walk in the fear of God? You don't want to sin against God. Amen. And when you do sin, you're grieved by it. And so the things that should motivate us is our love for the Lord, the promise of eternal life, and the fear of God because he is a righteous and a faithful judge. He's almighty and all powerful. And again, if I'm walking with him, uh, he, he fights for me. If I'm fighting against him, I should fear God. Amen. And so I think here's that motivation. And Hezekiah, you know, he's cried out to the Lord. And he's heard that the Lord is going to come against his enemies on his behalf. Then he says in verse eight, then the Rabshakeh, notice it says the Rabshakeh, it's a title, the general, returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. And he heard that they had departed for Lachish. Now he just said, there's gonna be a rumor that's gonna draw him back into his people. And it is there that he's gonna die in his own sword. The very next verse, there's a, Word that has come to him that is going to cause him to withdraw the siege that surrounds Judah and it's going to get him to go back home. See, we can, we can plan and we can fight and God can just do it like that. God can bring it, this fear into this heart of this man. He can confuse him. He can draw him away as that's why we need to pray first and plan second. Amen? You know, too often they're warring against Libna. This must have seemed Hezekiah liked the fulfillment of the Lord's promise. No doubt he probably thought, that's it. He's going to leave and never come back. Well, sometimes we pray about things and God shows up, but it doesn't mean it's gone for good. Amen? God can give us temporary relief sometimes, but sometimes it's going to come back. Well, guess what? Uh, the Rabshakeh is not going to give up that easily. Look what it says in verse 9. And it says, and the king heard concerning... Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, so he goes to fight the battle 
He recognizes he needs to retreat and go home and protect his homeland. But notice he still sends more words to Hezekiah. More threats are coming. So even though he's going to be drawn away for a time, he wants Hezekiah to know this isn't over. We're coming back. We're going to get you anyway. And the enemy will do that to us as well. God will deliver us. And he'll keep reminding us of our failures. And he'll tell us that he's coming back. Again, he can come back as many times as you want because again, if God is for me, who can be against me? Then he says there in verse nine, verse 10, thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, saying, so he sends his messengers to Hezekiah and here's what they come and tell the king. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Oh no. You're in trouble. Rabseka. Can I get an Amen. He said, your God, don't let your God deceive you. Our God never deceives us because he's never done anything deceitful in his life. Amen. He's a holy God. He's a faithful God. He's a merciful God. And he's attacking the true and living God. He's cursing the true and living God. He's mocking the true and living God as if he doesn't exist. And guess what? God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Look what it says there. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whose kings whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezpha, and the people of Eden who were at Teljasar? Where is the king of Hamath? the king of Arphad, the king of Seraphim and Hena and Iva. Then he says there in verse 14. So he's, he's, he's challenging them saying, look, we went against all these people and their gods, we wiped them all out. So every one of their gods, they, they prayed to their gods and we won the battle. They prayed to their gods and we won the battle. And they thought their gods would help them and none of their gods helped them. And guess what? Your God's not going to help you either. And don't be deceived by the words of your God. And see, that's, they're putting false gods on the same plane with the true and living God. And these gods don't exist. That's why they didn't show up. They're blocks of wood. They're made with the hands of men. If, if there's any power behind them, it's demonic. Amen? And this is the true and living God. And that's what the world wants to do. Here's what the cults all do. They make Jesus less and man more. If you're a Mormon, Jesus was a, a created being. The heavenly father was a man on another planet who became the God of this planet by being a good man. And Jesus and Lucifer, Satan are brothers. And then they had to decide which one was going to be the Messiah of this place. And if you're a good Mormon, you can be God of your own planet and have spirit babies forever. And you know what you just did? You made Jesus less and man more. Guys, we need to make Jesus way more and man way less. Amen. We need to magnify and lift up his name. He's attacking the true and living God. He's calling our God a deceiver. God's not going to be mocked. God is going to deal with this blasphemous king, this blasphemous ruler. Have the gods of other nations? No, they haven't because they don't exist. I think I've shared this story with you before. I know I have. I went and saw a former coworker. This has been some time ago and I met him for dinner and uh, you know, he let me pray over dinner. And then he said, after we're done here, I want to talk to you. Because I'm going to prove to you that, you know, there's many paths to God. And I'm going to show you that the Christianity has got filled with flaws. So let's just do that right now. I don't need to eat. Let's go, right? We go out into his, his uh, garage 
and he has a pool table and he puts the Quran over here and the writings, there's some Hindu writings over here and Buddha writings over here and Confucius writings over here and the Bible over here. He said, see, the people in Europe and America, they believe the Bible. The people over here believe this book. The people over here believe this book. People over here believe this book. People over here believe this book. What makes you think that your book is better than all these books? What's the difference? You know, how do we know it's not that book instead of your book? I said, well, first of all, the God of our book rose from the dead. Amen. All these other writers, we can dig up their bones this afternoon. They're dead. Amen. Jesus Christ is a risen living savior who has triumphed over sin and death. By the way, this is 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And that's only possible because God wrote it. Amen. All these other books are filled with contradictions. All these other books, they continue to edit and change them. The word of God is true. It's been proven prophetically. It's been proven historically. It's been proven archaeologically. Every time they unshovel another shovel of dirt in Israel proves the Bible to be true. Amen. And all those other books were written by men. And while God used the hands of men, this book was written by God. Amen. And so what happens is that this man basically is doing the same thing. Well, we defeated all those gods. We'll defeat your God. Who do you think you are? We've proven that we're greater than any God. Well, you might be able to defeat a God that doesn't exist, but you're not going to be able to defeat the God that created you. Amen. And that's who he's coming against. Point number three. So first we saw how to respond in time of crisis. Trust the promises of God. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers doubting and questioning God, threats being made against him, and read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah is doing all the right things. This threat comes, and what does he do? He brings it to the house of the Lord. What does he do with these words of blasphemy? He brings it to the house of the Lord. He lays it out before the Lord, and he prays over it. Hey, Lord, here's what he's saying. Here, Lord, let me bring this to you. You know, as a you probably get this, we get this as believers too, but especially if you're a pastor, I, I, I can't tell you how many times in a year I get letters or notes or emails or text messages, especially like from the radio and things like that, where people will tell me I'm a false prophet or they'll call me a fool or whatever else they want to call me. And I'll get those. And a lot of times they don't, they don't put a, a return envelope, anything, right? They just want to, you know, attack you. And then when they attack you, right? So what do I, when, anytime somebody attacks me or anybody says I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, I don't just brush it off. You know what I do? I take it before the Lord. I say, Lord, you know what? If any of this is true, show me. If there's something about me that's, if I'm doing something wrong, contrary to your word, show me. Lord, and he brings this to the Lord and says, Lord, here it is. Here's the writings of the king. I'm not going to refute it myself. I'm going to bring it to you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in your hands and let you be the one who responds to it. Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. When you're in a place like this where he's being challenged again, he's being told that he's going to be defeated again. His people are going to be attacked. He doesn't mount up his army first. The first thing he does is he takes it to, his, to the Lord. In our case, we take it to our heavenly father. Amen. My kids still do that. They're 30s. I love it. 
They'll call me up and ask me advice almost daily. I get, I get questions. My son Mark was in my office every day asking me stuff. And I love that because even though they're grown, even though they got families of their own in uh, most cases, uh, I love that they still want me to give them counsel. Do you think I'm going to give them good counsel or bad counsel? I'm their, I'm their dad. I love them. I will help any. Well, guess what? You know who's the best counselor? We know the mighty counselor. And he's our heavenly father. Why in the world would we do anything without seeking his will and his wisdom and crying out to him? And that's exactly what Hezekiah does. Then he says there, then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God, verse 15 of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you've made the heaven and earth. Now I love this, that you'll see this often in, in, in prayer when they're praying uh, in the word of God, and it should be evident in our own lives. They start off by speaking about the greatness of God. You'll hear it when I pray, almost always, you know, when I pray, you're a holy, righteous, and just God. You're a great and an awesome God. You know what? When we remember who God is, and God already knows who he is, but when we tell him, it's an act of worship in a sense. It's recognizing the, guys, our prayer and our faith can only be as great as the one we pray to and put our faith in. Amen? So when we say, you're a great, a holy, a righteous, a just, and a faithful God. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're the creator of all things. It's an act of worship. But you know what else it does? It prepares us to recognize that whatever we pray for after that, that he's great enough to take care of it. Amen? When we recognize how great he is, boy, you just recognize the greatness of God. Here's what he's doing. He starts off with, You're, you are God. You alone. This man's just saying, well, we've defeated all these other gods. He's like, oh, no, no, you're God. And you're the only one. Then he also says, of all the kingdoms of the earth, and you've made heaven and earth. You're the creator of all things. You created the enemy. Amen? You created everything. You're in charge. You're in control. You're a faithful God. If you were here last, last Thursday, he said light is and light was. He created the heavens and the earth in six, six days without ever lifting his hand. He just spoke it into existence. That's the God we serve. And that ought to bring peace to us when we're overwhelmed by the things of this world. Amen? We serve a great and an awesome God. He says, incline your ear, O Lord. And, and here, open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he had sent to the reproach of the living God. He cries out to the Lord. He expresses his faith in God. And then he petitions him. Hey, Lord, you've heard what they have said. Lord, open your eyes to what they have said. Open your ears to what they have said. Lord, I put it in your hands. Lord, you be the one to respond. You be the one to reach out. Notice he says there, Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he said of the true and living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. He then goes on to talk about how the kings, the, their kings, their false kings, the kings that they destroyed weren't, the gods they destroyed weren't gods at all. They were, they were idols. They were totem poles, right? They were just things of false worship. And he says, they think they've been victorious, but the things they defeated were not gods at all. But you're the true and living God. 
He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He asks him to hear his prayers. These false gods are not gods, but the works of man's hands. He said, you've cast their gods into, they cast their gods into fire. They were not gods, but the work of men's hands. Verse 19. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us. I think that we need to start praying that for the United States of America. Amen. You know, we've got all kinds of things going on in court right now with abortion. Amen. Oh Lord, save the babies. Amen. Oh Lord, we cry out to you. Save us. Save us. May we do what's necessary to bring our country to its knees. Amen. If we need 5,000% inflation to get everybody on their knees and for our country to, rep- and our country to repent, then bring it. Amen. Do whatever is necessary to bring revival to our land. But guys, if we're not praying to the Lord on behalf of our country, who in the world is going to? If we're not praying to the Lord on behalf of our, praying for our president's salvation, amen? Praying for our governor's salvation, praying for people that they need the Lord desperately. Let's pray for them, amen? Let's pray they come to know the Lord. Pray for the Pope's salvation, amen? Seriously, if he got saved, things might change, Amen? He might quit calling himself Holy Father and quit having people kiss his ring and quit praying with Muslims and everybody else and saying we all worship the same God. He's, at this point, he's a false prophet. Pray for him. Amen? And we need to pray. We need to cry out. We're the ones who know the true and living God. We must not keep it to ourselves. And he says, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. For his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God you alone. Boy, I like Hezekiah in this chapter. He's crying out to the Lord. He's recognizing who God is. And he's saying, Lord, show up so that they'll know that you and you alone are God. You know, that's the great thing about it. When God shows up, when God does the miraculous, when we, you know, we pray to a big God and we pray for big things and then God shows up, God is glorified. Amen. When God gives us the strength to, to, stand, to stand firm in the midst of great trials, God gets glorified. When we see God move in a, in a miraculous way that only God can do, then God gets glorified. It says in 2 Chronicles, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms and nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one can withstand you? See, we look at the world, we get overwhelmed. Well, they've got this many Supreme Court justices or this person's in the White House or this is taking place at my job site. My boss is is lost or whatever it might be. Guys, our God's greater than all of that. It's not even close, amen? And that's our mission field. And may we be salt and light. When the early church began to face persecution, look how they started their prayer. It's Acts 4.24. Lord, you are God. You made the heaven and earth and all that is in them. See, again, we need to begin with the the greatness of our God. Hezekiah has a concept of who God is and he prays big because he knows our God is great. Our trials and difficulties and enemies are only great if our God is small. The focus should not be on the size of the enemy, but the greatness of our God. Point number four. How to respond to time of crisis, trust the God of promises, cast your cares on him. Nothing happens apart from the sovereign hand of God. Look at verse 20. Then Isaiah, son of Hamaz, 
sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, I have heard. God hears our prayers every single time. Amen. Amen. Now he doesn't always answer the way we want him to. And it's, it's almost blasphemous when we say, God doesn't hear my prayers. Because he does hear them. You know why we'll say God doesn't hear them? Because he doesn't answer them the way we want him to. Well, I prayed for it a hundred times and he never did it. Being transparent. A big struggle for us, we, we prayed for our son. I'm not, there's no exaggeration. Thousands of times. For his struggle with depression. We did it for 15 years. I can't tell you, I can't even number the times I was on my face in my room crying out on behalf of my son. It's hard when you look up and other people get delivered from their depression, but our son never did. And then you can, if you're not careful, you can get angry with God. And God, why didn't you answer our prayer? Why didn't you heal him? But here's the reality. He got the ultimate healing. He's in heaven. Amen. And and there's no depression anymore. Amen. And so we can tell God what we want, but when it doesn't happen the way we want it to, if we're not careful, we can get angry with God. When you not to get angry with God, we need to trust the Lord. He is faithful. And this is a glorious answer to his prayer in these next 13 verses. He says, because you prayed to me, I've heard. This is the, Lord, the word which the Lord says concerning you. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Now, what is he talking about here? The idea is that the Assyrians had come to ravish the daughter of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, but God's not going to allow it. You know, we are the bride of Christ. And do you think that God is going to allow the bride of Christ to be ravaged without stepping in? What's the answer? He's not going to let that happen. Amen. Doesn't mean that we won't go through trials. It doesn't mean we won't go through, but it has to pass through his hand and he has to allow it. Amen. And if it's going to draw us closer to him, he may allow it. But we need to know that when people attack Christians, they're attacking Christ. What did he say to Saul on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Well, he was persecuting Christians. When you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ. Amen. And God is for us and God is on our side. And he's letting them know that you're attacking the the daughter, the virgin daughter of Israel. You're going after this precious, delicate virgin who's, who's been protected by God. Jerusalem at this point had never been defeated yet. Jerusalem at this point, God had his hand upon it and you're coming against his virgin daughter, if you will. And God is going to protect her from the enemy. Jerusalem could be called the virgin, because she was unpolluted with gross idolatry of the pagans, God would defend her for, uh, from being, in a sense, raped by the Assyrians. And again, she had never been invaded or conquered uh, since the days that King David was given the promise by God that he would continue to have someone reign in Jerusalem. It says, whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom you have raised your voice and lifted your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel. So the words coming back 
from Isaiah to King Hezekiah, letting him know what the Lord is saying about Rabshakeh and Sennacherib, who was the king. Rabshakeh was his general, if you will. And these threats that they're making, here is God's response. You're coming against the true and living God and almighty God is not going to stand for it. He's not going to. And the same is true here. Now look, sometimes it doesn't happen as quickly as we think. But again, before it's over, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Before it's over, every false God will bow before the true and living God. Those who, now look, as believers, when we see people mocking God, our hearts should break for them. We should pray for their salvation. Amen? Jesus died for them. It's not too late for them to be saved. Saul of Tarsus became the apostle Paul. Amen? Rahab went from a harlot to being in the, in the lineage of Jesus. Amen? So it's never too late until they, until they draw their last breath. We should pray for their salvation. But at the same time, we should stand against the claims they make against the true and living God. Amen? We should stand up for the truth and preach it with boldness. Verse 23, by your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. He's speaking of uh, Rabsekah. And said, by the multitude of my chariots, I've come against the height of the mountains to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forests. I have dug and drunk strange water. And with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all brooks of defense. Their, their arrogance is going to come back and haunt them. They're prideful. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I, I'll even say that we were, we were playing a team that hadn't lost a, we, our church softball team made the championship game, but we didn't win, but it was fun. Other than a home plate collision that's got my knee tweaked, but other than that. But one guy that we play against is very arrogant and he tells me every time I see him, we're just gonna wipe the floor with you guys. And my response every time is, pride goes before destruction, bro. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying, pride goes before destruction. And they hadn't lost a game in four years ago and four weeks ago, we beat them handily. And it was just an example of pride goes before destruction. Amen. And you know, and I don't say anything. We're not arrogant or it, but I'm like, well, there's a biblical lesson. Amen. And God has a way of doing that. Now, again, everything that they claim they're going to do, nothing can happen apart from the hand of God. And God did, did God allow Syria to overrun Israel? What's the answer? Did he? Yes. Israel's gone at this point. They've been drug away hooked through their lip, through their nose and drug away to a foreign land. But you know why? It wasn't because Assyria was great because God was bringing righteous judgment upon Israel because for 300 years they were worshiping idols. And God finally said, that's it. And he allowed the world to bring the judgment, but it was God's judgment upon them. Now Assyria thinks, see, we've already beat your God once in Israel. Well, but, oh no, no, no. God used you. God's greater than you. God's the one who allowed it. Verse 23 says there, by your messengers, you have reproached the Lord. You've cut down all the trees. I've dug a drunk. Verse 25. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? He's talking about the trees and the things that they think they have victory over. And he's letting them know, I created all that stuff. You know, all those things you think you have. I created that. I created the trees. I created the brook. I, I created you. Amen. And he's letting them know that he is the creator how he made it from ancient times that I formed it. Now I brought it to pass that you should be for crushing certified cities into heaps and ruins. He's letting them know when you've had victory, that's only because I allowed it. 
When you had victory as Assyrians, it's because I allowed it. Guys, if, God, if anything good happens in our life, to God be all the glory. Because without him, we can do nothing. So any good that happens in us is because of him. And for, to him be all the praise, the glory, and the honor. And we should never be arrogant or self-righteous about anything we've done because the Lord did it. He says there in verse 26, therefore their inhabitants had little power. He's saying that the reason those people didn't have any power you fought against, they're dismayed and confounded. There is the grass of the field and the green herb as, as grass on housetops and grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place. You're going in and you're coming out and you're going in. Here's what he says. You had victory because they couldn't win because I allowed it. But by the way, I'm going to defeat you and I know where you live. <laughs> Let's read that verse again. But I know your dwelling place. What does that mean? I know where you live. I'm coming. Amen. I know when you go and I know when you come back. I've got my eyes on you. You had victory because I allowed it. But now you're coming against me. And guess what? I'm coming after you and I know where you live. I love that. I know your dwelling place. Their pride is going to come back to bite them in a very hard way. Now notice what he says here. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. I know the hatred you have toward me. I know the things you've said about me. Because of your rage against me and your tumult, verse 28, have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way you came. Now, isn't this amazing? Because this is exactly what they do to everybody they defeat. See, everybody they defeat, they run a bridle, they run a hook through their nose and through their lip. They strip them of their clothes and they drag them hundreds of miles to their foreign land. And now the Lord says, guess what? Hook's coming through your nose. I know where you live and I'm coming with a hook and it's going through your nose and your lip and the way that you've drugged those other people off that I allowed, I'm not allowing that anymore and you're coming against my people and you're going to be the ones who are going to have the hook through your nose and through your lip and I will be dragging you away. Aren't you glad we're on God's side? Isn't it good to know he's in control and he's faithful and he's greater than the enemy? Leave the enemy in God's hands. He'll take care of him. Do you notice, well, how much is Hezekiah's army doing in this program so far? They prayed. That's the right thing to do. Amen? Let's get on our knees and ask the Lord. You know, the mightiest weapon we have against ISIS is prayer. Taliban, prayer. Amen? We can pray. God can deliver us. He's a faithful God. Last two points. God is faithful to his promises. Look at verse 29. Thus shall be assigned to you. You shall eat this year such as it grows itself. The second year what springs up from the same. Also in the third year and reap. Plant vineyards and eat fruit from them. Now remember they were being besieged, which was keeping, uh, now they had a way to bring water in. They had, they had an underground tunnel that they brought water in. But God's letting them know the enemy's trying to besiege you. I just let you know I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you. And it doesn't say he's going to provide in a huge abundance, but he's going to provide enough. And you know what? God will provide for us. He may not provide for your wants, but he'll provide for your needs. Amen? He'll provide plenty. And then he says, and the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward. Then he says in verse 31, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Sennacherib claimed to have 
200,150 prisoners from Judah, but the nation would survive. See, they had already captured a lot of the land of Judah outside of Jerusalem. They had already drug off hundreds of thousands. Of, we don't know how many for sure, but that's the, the, the number he claimed, 200,000 that he had drug off into captivity. But the Lord is letting them know Israel will survive. I mean, Judah will survive. Jerusalem will survive. There's going to be a remnant that I will have in, in Israel and Jerusalem, and they will stand and they will have victory. As much as the Assyrians wanted to crush Jerusalem, God would not allow it and God would reserve a remnant. Verse 32, therefore says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into his city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mount against it. He said, I'm not even going to let you do it. You're not going to shoot one arrow into Jerusalem. Not going to happen. I'm going to keep you from any kind of attack. You're not even going to get close to the place. I've got my hand upon it. Verse 33, by the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord. For I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Remember, he had made a promise to King David when David was at the end of his life that he would keep a remnant and that he would keep one of David's descendants on the throne. And he says, I am going to preserve this city, not for the sake of the city, because the city itself had done some evil things. They too had been worshiping some false gods. They too had not, but he said, I'm going to do it for the sake of the promise that I made to King David. See, when God makes a promise in his word, he will always be faithful to keep it. And because of that, we can trust what he says. God promised to defend Jerusalem and God would defend his own glory. Often we unnecessarily think we must defend the glory of God. We don't need to defend the glory of God. We just need, we just need to be faithful to do what God's called us to do. He will defend his own glory. Amen. We just need to stand for the truth be unashamed of the gospel, know what we believe and why we believe it, and trust in the sovereignty of God. Again, he doesn't need us, we need him, amen? In the same way, uh, God the Father defends and blesses us, not for our own sake, because we deserve judgment, but for his own sake and the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God made a promise and to the Son. The Son came to redeem us. And because we've been redeemed by the Son, the Father also loves us, of course, and he sent his son to die in our place. But his promises are for his sake and for the sake of his son, even when we don't deserve it. Amen? He's a faithful God and praise God for it. Last three verses, you plus God is a majority. Look at verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians, 185,000. And when the people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. In one night, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians and the army of, of Jerusalem, the army of Judah, did not even have to raise their hand. All they did was pray, seek the Lord, trust what God's word said, and God showed up and God brought the victory. Now in the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, who's that talking about? Jesus. You mean Jesus killed 185,000 people? Wait a minute, I thought he was the God of love and grace and mercy. Is he? Yeah. 
Is he also God of righteous judgment? What's the answer? Amen. He desires that none should perish. No, not one. But see, that's the God that we serve. See, people think of Jesus, Jesus sometimes as, you know, that because he did not. Now, is Jesus coming back? When he went into the, when he went into Israel the first time, what was he riding? Donkey. Side saddle, no doubt. Little donkey. Can you just see it? He's riding in. It's humility. When he comes back, what's he coming back on? White horse. What's he got behind him? A mighty army. And guess what? We're going to be in that. Can Praise the Lord. Amen. And when he comes back, he's not glopping in on a donkey to die for us because he already did that. We've been redeemed. But when he comes back, he's coming back to bring righteous judgment against those he's given all these years, six thousands of years to repent. But there's a day coming when righteous judgment is coming. Amen. And our heart should be to see everybody that's still left on this planet coming back with us instead of fighting against us. Amen. That should be our heart. Isn't it good to know that how many angels, first of all, that's the angel, but how many angels are there? We don't know, but one killed 185,000 men. How foolish is it to anybody to think they can fight against God? God is for us who can be against us. Amen. Then he says, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned to his home and remained at Nineveh. So Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Now you might, want, now you might know why Jonah didn't like the Ninevites so much. And they're all going to end up getting saved, right? There's going to be a great revival in Nineveh when we get to the book of Jonah. And notice, so he returned to Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrach, his God. Okay, now here's the difference. When we worship the true and living God, he shows up in a mighty and a powerful way and he's on the throne. He's the king of... Nishrach was a God that was... Let me read this. Part eagle, part human. It sounds like a horror flick or something, doesn't it? part eagle, part human. He was worshiping his false God that didn't exist, that somebody created some idol and watch what happens. That his sons, Adramalek and Sharazer, struck him down with a sword and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Eshadain, his son, reigned in his place. So this man who was arrogant and full of himself and saying that your God can't do anything. We're going to strike down your God. We're going to defeat you like we defeated everybody else. When he, was in the tomb, when he was in the palace of his God, his own sons killed him. So let me ask you a question. Our God, 185,000 of his warriors in one night. Their God didn't exist. He's worshiping his God and he gets struck down with swords and he's dead. Guys, we serve the true and living God. Amen. I'm so glad if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. You plus God is a majority. If you're on God's side, you're on the right side. Everybody else is on the other side. If you're the only person that's standing with the Lord in your office, the only person that's standing with the Lord in your family, the only person standing with the Lord in your neighborhood, you're on the right side. Amen. It's not about being popular with men. It's about being faithful to God. So don't fear men. Trust God. How to respond in times of crisis, bring it to the Lord. Take, take the situation seriously. Seek direction from the word of God. Pray and ask for prayer. Real measure of spiritual maturity is how we respond in time of crisis. Trust in the promises of God. Don't fear the words of men or the threats of men. Put your faith in God and trust his promises. Cast your cares on him. He cares for you. Remember to trust in the greatness of our God. He is the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God. Nothing happens apart from the, the sovereign hand of God. 
Our prayer matters. God is in control. Leave the enemy in God's hands. God is faithful to his promises, even when we are faithless. So when God says it, that settles it. And then finally, you plus God is a majority. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. You are a great and an awesome God. We are so blessed to be your sons and daughters adopted into your family. And Lord, we do lift up our country. We ask for revival. We pray for those that don't know you, that they would come to know you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in the center of your will to not worry about what men think or what men say, but be faithful and obedient to what you've called us to be. Lord, we need to be filled afresh. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Without you, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, may we not fall for the words of men. May we not operate in fear, but may we trust in you. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. You'd rather die than live without us. We thank you, Lord, for the promises in your word, the promise of eternal life. We thank you for the down payment on heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...